Everybody said amen. I, uh, I want to just talk a little bit in the heart tonight, hopefully. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, the smartest guy in the world. But here's what I do know, that we're in a battle and we're in a race. You know, the Bible talks often about the race and uh, it talks about winning. So tonight I'm going to just talk about running to win. We're in the race. And I believe that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing because we're still in the race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. And I don't think there will be a screen tonight. Brother Tommy had to work late. And uh, so we don't have a screen. So just you can just remember the scriptures and jot them down, go to them. We'll just act like we don't have screens. We didn't used to have them. So uh, we, we were all saved back then, so I guess we can do it the old-fashioned way. Amen. Praise God. Sometime I wish we'd just start everything old-fashioned again. Here's what the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Now, Here's the message Bible of that same verse. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. Run to win. Everybody say with me, run to win. I don't know about you, but I want to run to win. I don't want to lose. I want to win. I, uh, I've often said it, you show me a you know, people, what a crazy day we're living in. They think that everybody ought to get a trophy. Everybody ought to get a prize. Everybody ought to get a plaque. Everybody ought to get a medal. Don't you get sick of that? Uh, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so it doesn't matter what they do. Just give them a, a, a prize or a gift. I, I'm from the day if, if you lost, you just lost. And second place was kind of like kissing your sister. You know, it just wasn't a good place you wanted to be. But uh, I still believe we ought to run to win and we ought to play to win. And I've often said it, you show me a good loser and I'll just show you a real loser. I am not a good loser in case you hadn't figured that out. And if I do lose, I'm coming back and next time I'm going to win. Amen. Here is uh, here's some things that we ought to consider. How is life like a race? It's like a race because it's a challenging course, and it has many ups and downs in your in your life. There are many times you're up, sometimes you're down, but you got to keep running. It's like a race because at the end of this life, we're going to all be judged. There's a judge that's going to be when we get to the end and 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 life is uh, like a race because it's a, a finish line called death or the rapture we're all going one way or the other we're going to we're going to finish and it depends upon us how we finish and if we finish the life that we live well life ends with the winners receiving great reward according to the Scripture. Here's what Hebrews 12 and 1 said. Now, this is the verse that, that is right after what we call the faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. If you go read that, you can't help but have faith when you get to the end of that chapter because there are so many awesome things that God talks about in His Word in that particular chapter but he starts, and of course I know the Bible wasn't laid out in chapters, but men put it in chapters. But the next chapter, Hebrews 12 and 1 said this, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, obviously referring to those that he had just talked about in the previous verses in chapter 11. He said, we're, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run 
with patience the race that is set before us. Everybody say run with patience. That's what the Bible said that we have to do. We've got a lot of witnesses that it can be done. We got a lot of things listed in chapter 11 that talked about the things that came against those people of God, and yet they kept the faith. I, I won't go back and read all of that chapter, but do that when you get home because it will tell you why it is written in 12 and 1 that we, we have to look at what we've been uh, laid or look at, at what has been laid before us in the way of faith and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 in verses 7 and 8. We've quoted the scripture often, especially at funerals. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. It's a race. It's a fight. It's a course. You got to keep the faith and you got to look at where those before us have been to know that they won and we can win too. Somebody shout amen. So from the world's perspective, what is winning? What do they really say? Well, you know, somebody said, well, intelligence, the smarter you are, the more respect you're going to receive. And that may be true in the world's eyes. Well, winning is wealth. Winning is wealth. The more money you have, the happier you'll be. Let me tell you something. Money can't buy happiness regardless of what the world tells you because some of the most miserable people in the world have money, but they don't know the Lord. And then, then others say, well, it's image. The better you appear and, and the more popular you will be. So that's, that's winning. That's winning in the world's eyes. Somebody else said power. The stronger you are, the more control you have. That's winning in the world's eyes, but not from God's perspective. For God's perspective, winning is based on something else entirely. It's not what the world says is success. Winning is not, it's not what the world puts it out there for us to be. And, and we understand that. Here's what the wise men wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. He said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Watch this. Nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise. Nor yet riches to men of understanding nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. You know what he's saying? Success is not what the world is saying success is. And winning, here's, here's what it said in the contemporary English version. Here's what it said. Here is something else I've learned. The fastest runners and the greatest heroes don't always win races and battles. Wisdom, intelligence, and skill don't always make you healthy, rich, or popular. That's, that's the contemporary version. We each have our share of bad luck. And you may not like what I'm about to say, and you may not agree with me, but I think you will. But there's a principle of life, and here it is. Life is not fair. Did you hear me? I said life is not fair. There are people that go to universities for years to get great educations and become doctors and attorneys and all kind of educated people that, that they, they and, 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 and look, it ain't fair. It ain't fair for LeBron James to go to high school, from high school to the NBA and sign a contract for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions. As a matter of fact, if I understand it right, he's now a billionaire. Life ain't fair. 
So if you're waiting for fair to come along, our human handicap is that we can try ever so hard to succeed and still fail. Sometimes, though, or sometimes through no fault of our own, we have done our very best and we have given God our very best. Here's what Matthew said in 5 and 45. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said it that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. How many of you here tonight understand that everybody has problems and everybody has situations in their life? It's not just you, darling. You may just not see what's happening to the other guy or, or, or somebody down the road or your next-door neighbor or comrade at work, I'm just telling you, the Bible said it rains on the just and the unjust. So you cannot gauge success by how much trouble you have in life. You cannot gain, you you cannot say winning. It's when you really are worry-free and you got money in the bank and all the kids are well. That doesn't necessarily mean you're winning. Because winning in God's eyes is when you have God in control of your life. Amen. The plain fact of the matter is that no matter how hard we try in this race that we're running called life, the outcome is still up to chance. Not me, but chance. Unless, everybody say unless, unless we run the race God intends us to run. You see, there's a plan for everybody in this room tonight and how we ought to live. There are instructions of how we ought to run. And sometimes we, we, we get off course. I'm going to talk about some things tonight in the next little while quickly and uh, just, just talk about how people run and, and how they, they live their lives. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 9, he said, So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. We are running at the mercies of God. And if we run according to the Scriptures, we're going to be okay. But if we don't, we're going to pay the price in the end. Amen. See, the, the world views success as being number one. Number one. But God views success as making him number one. Now, let me say that again. The world says success is us being number one. That's not true. God says success is when you have him number one in your life. You don't necessarily want to be number one. You want him to be number one. That's running God's way. That's doing what God wants us to do. There's not a question that the race of life is going to be full of disappointments and discouragements and defeat. And there's times of up and times of down and times you weep and times you laugh and times you have great smile and there's other times your lips drag in the carpet. But, but here's what we do know. We can overcome everything if we put our hope in God. Everything is going to be all right. If we put our hand in his, everything is going to be okay and we will overcome every hurdle in our life if he is in charge of our life. I've said it so many times, but I read the back of the book every once in a while, and every time I check, we win. I said we win. There is no failure when you're living God for God according to his work. I, I, I read a story, and this is how it went. I'll just read it to you. At 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. It was cool and dark, and the last of the marathon runner, runners, each exhausted, were being carried off to first aid stations. More than an hour earlier, Memo Wold of Ethiopia, looking as fresh as when he started the race, crossed the finish line. The winner of a of the 26-mile, 385-yard event. 
as the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting near the marathon gate suddenly heard the sound of sirens and police whistles. All eyes turned to the gate, and a lone figure wearing the color of Tasmania, or, or excuse me, Tanz, Tanzania, entered the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquari, and he was the last man to finish the marathon. His leg was bloodied and bandaged, severely injured in a fall. He grimaced with each step. He hobbled around the 400-meter track. The spectators rose and applauded him as if he were the winner. And after crossing the finish line, a quarry slowly walked off the field without turning to the cheering crowd. And in view of his injury and having no chance of winning a medal, someone asked him why he had not quit. He replied this, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish this race. God didn't call you to start it alone. He called you to finish it. And by the help and grace of God, you can. You may come across the finish line hobbling. You may come across limping and bloody and broken limbs and skin knees. But I'm going to tell you, if you will stay with the race, you're going to cross. And God is going to give you that eternal reward. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Paul said, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Which hope we have. You know what the Bible called hope? The Bible calls hope? It's an anchor of the soul. Anchors, ladies and gentlemen, stabilize us so that we won't be drifting. I love to fish. I don't like to fish in the wind, but I can tell you this. When the wind gets bad enough, you better have an anchor because if you don't have an anchor, you're at the mercy of the wind. You're at the mercy of the current. You have no direction if there's not an anchor. And without hope in this life, we're at the mercy of life's unpredictable winds and unpredictable weather without hope in our life. The, one of the Old Testament words for hope is spelled in the Greek T-I-Q-V-H-A, which literally means a cord. It comes from the word Q-A-V-A-H, which means, I looked this up, to bind together by twisting like a braid of rope. Hope connects us to the throne of God. And that same Hebrew word, listen, that same Hebrew word is weight in Isaiah 40, 31. You know what that scripture said? But they that wait upon the Lord. You know what it means? They that are twisted up in him. They that are tied to him. They that have hope in him. The Lord shall renew their strength and they're going to mount up on wings as eagles. And here's what it said. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. But our hope is not in man. Our hope is like a twisted braid in the spirit where we're hanging on to the promises of God. Our hope is in him, and we run because we have hope. Let me tell you, there's been a lot of places that you could have quit and I could have quit, and we could have thrown in the towel and said, well, I don't know if all this is worth it. Let me tell you, honey, it's worth it. Somebody shout, it's worth it. It's worth it. Hope, that means you're being connected to God. You're, it's bringing renewed strength in your everyday walk, your race of life. And if we run connected to God, guess what? We win. If, we, if not, we don't even finish the race. We have to run, listen to me, we have to run correctly and we have to run to win. Amen. See, there's wrong ways to run. I, I'll talk about a little bit of them today. You can run religiously without any power. That's what Paul said to Timothy. 
In the last days, they're going to have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he said, from such turn away. There's a lot of religious folks that don't know anything about the power of God. Amen. The Pharisees were religious people. They went through the motions, but they had no experience. And they had no deep commitment to God only by religion, not by relationship. They knew the right words to say, and they knew how to appear, and they, re- and, and, and they had little reality of, re- of a genuine commitment and re- relationship with God. It ain't enough, honey, to be religious. You can know the Bible from front to back and have no relationship with God. As a matter of fact, the last time I read this book, it, 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 it talked about the, the Word of God as it can be destructive to you if the Spirit's not winning. Because the Bible said, the Word killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive. This thing can kill you if you're not, if you're not full of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. So, The wrong way to run is religious without power. Jesus answered and said to them in Matthew 22, 29, you do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. You don't understand the power of God. Let me tell you what we have in our arsenal. We have the power of God. And when we can't get through a day, the power of God gets us through a day. And when we can't face our enemies, the power of God faces our enemies. I preached about it not just a few days ago. The Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord, that's the power of God raising up a standard against the enemy. So when we fail in, in our running, our race, we, we err sometime because not knowing the Scriptures, we don't understand, nor do we have the power of God. But when you keep a relationship with God and you keep the power of God, it's more than just a religion. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, hear me on this Wednesday night. This church has got to be more than just a place to come because it's an idea or it's what everybody does or it's what you want to do to please a preacher. You've got to have a place to come where you know God is and God will speak to you. Amen. Revelation 3 and 1 said unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. I know, I know what you got, but you're dead. And you got to wake up and get a relationship with God. I, I thought about Zacharias the father of John the Baptist, he was a bit that way because he was in the temple daily, every week performing religious duties and worshiping faithfully. But when God broke into his life, he could not respond with faith because he had gotten so used to just the status quo. We can't get used to just the same old, same old. Let me tell you, we ought to be hungry for miracles and signs and wonders every time we walk in this place. Every day when we get up, we ought to be expecting God to do a miracle somewhere in our life. We can't live for the status quo. Come on, somebody, help me out. I need you here tonight. We can't just be ordinary because it's not ordinary times. We can't face ordinary days because there are no ordinary days. This is extraordinary times. Amen. The lame man at pool of Bethesda, or Bethesda, excuse me, was definitely like this. He laid beside the pool. He laid there so many years waiting for the movement of the waters that he didn't recognize it when Jesus, the healer, stood by him. You know what his excuse was? I tried to get in and everybody beats me to it. He was just kind of Oh, well, I've been here 38 years. I can't get in the pool. Somebody always beats me. But he failed to realize that his deliverance was standing beside him. It's called religion without relationship. You can't run that way. Let me tell you what else you can't do. You can't run from your enemies. 
There's, there's times that in our life, all of us, that we have to avoid physical confrontation, if at all possible. You know what the Bible said? Follow peace with all men. And I like that, but it also said as much as is possible. Some folks are impossible. Now, if that wasn't true, the Lord wouldn't have put that in the Scriptures. There's some folks you just can't get along with. Amen? They'll lie. They'll talk about you. They'll tell half. Let me tell you, look at me right now. I'm going to say this and I'm going to shut up. A half truth is a lie. That's all I want to tell you. A half truth is a lie. Don't you believe it till you hear both sides of the story. Because a half truth is a lie. There's oppressive situations in our lives at times that, that we have to get away from. However, you can never be guilty of fleeing from your spiritual enemy. You have to stand up and fight. That's why the Lord said, that's why the Lord said, put on the whole armor of God. Because he don't want you running from the devil. He wants you standing up for what is right and standing up for what is truth. Amen? The Bible said in Hebrews 12 and 12, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The word feeble in that verse comes from a Greek word that means paralyzed. And fear will paralyze you in the spirit. Don't be afraid. The Bible teaches us, be not afraid. The, word, the words of the scripture to the church are, don't be afraid. You know what happened to Israel? Right after they experienced the glorious deliverance from, from Egypt and they walked out, God totally decimated their enemies. God wiped them all. Pharaoh couldn't catch them. The armies were drowned. Pharaoh was drowned. The wheels were taken off the chariots. They wanted God to deal with the Canaanites exactly the way he dealt with the Egyptians without them having to do one thing. And guess what? When that didn't occur, they lost their their faith. They lost their confidence in God. They ran from their enemies. You see, the next step was predictable. They began to magnify their enemy's power over their own and even above God's. And that's why they said in Numbers 13, 33, and there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come out, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. In other words, we, we ain't nothing. Look at our enemy. Yes, we are something because one man with God is a majority. It was Mark Twain that said, I'm an old man, have known a, a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. Let me say that again. I'm an old man and have known a great many troubles, Mark Twain said, but most of them have never happened. Most of what we worry about never comes to pass. Is everybody still, you're still church? Most of, I mean, I, I, the devil is a slow fox. Let me tell you, what do you do? He'll jump into your brain when you lay down at night, keep you up all night worried about something that ain't never going to happen. Now, that happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you or not. But that's his tactic. It's to strike fear. You cannot run from your enemies in this race. You have to meet them head on. Everybody said amen. So run with power and not just religion. Don't run for your enemies. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to run from them. And then you, you can't run from your enemies, but you can't run with your enemies. See, Judas Iscariot definitely ran the wrong way in life's race. Even though he started out good, he wound up bad because he got to running with his enemies, and that was not a good thing. See, he, he believed that when Messiah would come, he would overthrow the Roman government. That's what he believed. That's what all the disciples believed. And set up an earthly throne. 
just like all the other disciples believed that also. They thought it was going to be an earthly throne. And when Jesus didn't do that, Judas became disillusioned. I got to study this today, and it created bitterness in his heart, and it was fatal to him. You can't run from your enemies, but you can't run with your enemies. You can't side up with them. When you start running with them, you're headed for for destruction. Look at Judas. Galatians said this, Galatians 5.17, or 5.7, you did run well. Who, not what, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? The Lord didn't say what did hinder you. He said who did hinder you. There's some who's in your life that you need to get rid of. Everybody is not good company. Y'all want me to stop right here and preach a little bit? If you're hanging around folks that's constantly criticizing the church, criticizing other Christians, criticizing people, talking about all the bad and never the good, you probably don't need them for a friend. Amen? You can't tell me who I can have for friends. No, but I can tell you where you're headed. Because if you're going to hang around that environment, look, I'm a preacher, but I can't go sit down at the bar every night. I've never drank a drop in my life. God knows that's the truth. But let me just tell you this. I can't go hang out down at the local bar night after night after night and make friends at the local bar and say, this is my buddies because they don't believe what I believe. And it won't be long because they're going to affect me. And when you hang, you are who you hang around with. I just thought I'd throw that in. That didn't cost you an extra dime. But you are who you hang around with. Your environment determines what you believe. Your environment determines who you are. That's why my closest friends are in the church. They're people of like precious faith. They're people that love God. They're not going to talk about God in a detrimental way. They're not going to talk about the church. Not around me, they're not. You got something bad to say about God or the church, you better say it to somebody else. Don't say it to me. Because I'm not running I'm not running with my enemies. I'm not running from my enemies, but I'm not running with my enemies. And furthermore, I'm not running away from God. I'm running to God. Failed expectations in life can be devastating and debilitating like a balloon losing air, the rapid deflation of dreams and emotions spinning haphazardly out of control. Here's what happens. That happened to the disciples. Here's what happened to them. They never expected the crucifixion to happen. And when it happened, guess what? They ran. Oh, you don't mean they ran. Yes, they did. You go read the scripture, John 21, St. John 21 and 3. The Bible said, Simon Peter said to them, I go a fishing. And they said to him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. They were running away from God. They weren't running to him. They were running away from him. As a matter of fact, you go read the scripture. Peter denied him three times before the cock crowed in the morning. And now he's saying, well, master's gone. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old jig here. I'm going to do what I used to do. Anybody want to go? Yeah, we're going with you. And they entered a ship and fished all night and didn't catch a crying fish. You know why? That wasn't a mere coincidence. That was by design because, you see, in God's mercy, God was saying, I won't allow you to run the other way. After all, I've invested in you, and I'm too committed to your destiny to see you fail this way. And only when they turned around and followed his word did the Lord perform a miracle on their behalf. I won't go into it all. I'll just read a couple of scriptures. The ninth verse of John 21 said, As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereupon and and bread. Because the Lord said, 
I'm going to just cook you a meal. I got plans for you. I'm going to do something for you. Don't run away. Just come back here, and we're going to eat together. And That's where he asked Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Go read the 21st chapter of John. What he did is he found his disciples running away, and he stopped them and drew them back in. Amen. Psalms 23 said, I love this scripture. I preached on it one time. It's a very familiar chapter. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Remember that chapter? We probably all quote most of it. Here's what the fifth verse said. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. I want you to know that God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Don't run away from God. Run to God because all those folks that say you ain't going to make it, you're going to make it, and God's going to help you, and he's got something prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. Hallelujah. Here's something else you can't do. You can't run ahead of God. When I, when I thought about this today, I thought about Abraham and Sarah. They got ahead of God. I mean, come on, folks. You don't, you're not supposed to have kids when the man's 100 and the woman's 90. Amen? And so they took it in their own hands, and they said, we're going we're gonna to make this happen. Not going to be God's way, but we're going to run ahead of God. And the promise that they had, they, they tried to fulfill it by carnal means. And Abraham slept with his bondwoman, and thus Ishmael was born. And the thorn in the side of Israel is still Ishmael. It's the Arab nation. And it happened because somebody ran ahead of God. Abraham and Sarah did Typical human things. They asked God to accept their, their connived solution to the promise. Listen to what Genesis 17 said. Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. In other words, Lord, would you let my plan become your plan? And because he knows, God does, the end from the beginning. He wants it his way. Don't try to outrun God. Don't run the race with God saying, whoa, 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 slow down here. That's a wrong decision. That's a wrong path. Don't go there. Don't. Look, there's enough in this word to guide us. And if we pray, the Bible said the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And the last time I checked, every race you've ever run, you had to take steps. But when you take steps, they're ordered of God if you do it God's way. You can't outrun God. That's why he gives us destinies that rise above anything and everything. We can't possibly produce them by ourselves. I can't go to heaven by myself. I got to have the road map. I got to have the directions. I got to have what's right, and it's in this book. Somebody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to, trying to portray to you what God is looking for. Who would want to settle for a natural inheritance than, rather than a spiritual one? And that's, that's really what Abraham and Sarah was doing. You know what? We've all created some Ishmael's in our life. Because we got ahead of God. I've had a few. I've had a few Ishmaels in my life. And I'm not talking about children. I'm, not, I'm just talking about situations where I got ahead of God. I got impatient waiting on God. I've, I've told this story many times, but it always comes back to me. And so I'm going to tell it again. I, years ago, I, uh, I decided I wanted to be a pilot. And... Uh, so I did. I started taking flying instructions, and five months from the day I started, I had my license to fly a plane. And, uh, and I enjoyed that. I'm sure all of you would have enjoyed riding with me. 
But I never will forget me and two of my buddies, two guys that I pastored. We said, let's buy an airplane. I said, man, that's great. Let's do that. All three of us together, we can go in together, and uh, we can afford it. We can do that. So we tried to buy the plane, and the door shut. I said, well, I know another way. We tried another way, and the door shut. About three times we tried, and the door shut. Finally, I kept trying, and the door opened, and I wished it would have shut. We got the plane. We flew. I flew all over this country. Any of y'all remember when the air traffic controllers went on strike many years ago? I think it was probably during, maybe during Reagan's days. Air traffic controllers went on strike. The, the airports, the big airports, wouldn't even talk to a little plane. I remember flying into New Orleans, and they wouldn't even give me, I, I, you know, I'm trying to reach the tower, and they won't even talk to me. So I just bailed right in front of a big jet, landed at Cessna 172. I told you you'd like to ride with me. But it wasn't long before both those guys were farmers. <clears throat> and farmers, you know, that's about as unsure if, if, if I know y'all are watching on the Internet. God bless every one of you. But if you're, if you're a farmer, you pretty much are a gambler because you, you go buy hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of seed and you put it in the ground and you pray for rain. Well, they were both farmers, and they both hit hard times, and they said, man, we, we can't pay. Well, guess who was left with the old plane? He who wanted it so bad didn't want it anymore. And, and, and you know, it was a little situation where I've thought about it many times. The Lord saw things I didn't see. And if I'd have just been patient and listened, that's just an ideal situation where, where I did it. I'm talking about me. I'm not saying you've ever done that, but you know what? We 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 we're very we're very reckless sometimes, and we do things that in our everyday walk that God's saying, "Uh, uh-uh, you're getting ahead of the plan." And I've learned somewhere along the way that there there's a lot of things that I want to happen in life, but you know what? I'm not gonna get a hold of. I'm not gonna get ahead of God. Because God's got a plan. And if we'll just stay with him and not run before him and not get out in front of him, everything's going to be all right. You can create an Ishmael in your life, and then you've got to put up with that joker for hundreds of years. He's still well in the Middle East. He's still causing issues because Abraham and Sarah got ahead of God. So running the race God's way is not getting ahead of God. It's waiting on God. It, it, I love Lamentations chapter 3, one of my favorite verses of all the Scripture, 22 and 24. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This proved true in the life of myself and you and many others that the the mercies of God guide us every day. And if we'll just be patient, everything is going to be okay. Running the race God's way. Let me, let me read you another story that I ran across just today. I thought it was pretty intriguing. It's a true story. It said he was a has-been, a fossil, a relic, an old fogey, but it hadn't always been so. As a young man, George Frederick Handel was the talk of England, the best-paid composer on earth, and his fame soared around the world. But the glory passed, audiences dwindled, and one project after another failed. Handel grew depressed. 
the stress brought on a case of palsy that crippled some of his fingers. And Handel's great days are over, wrote Frederick the Great. His inspiration, he said, is exhausted. Yet his troubles also matured him, and his music became more heartfelt. And one morning, Handel received a collection of various biblical texts from a man by the name of Charles Jennings. And the opening words were from Isaiah 40, and they moved Handel because the words were, Comfort ye my people. And on August the 22nd of 1741, the story said he began composing music for the words. And 23 days later, the world had Messiah which opened in London to the enormous crowds on March 23, 1743. Handel led from his harpsichord, and King George II, who was present that night, surprised everyone by leaping to his feet during the Hallelujah Chorus. You know that. From that day, audiences all over the world have stood in reverence during the stirring words, hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever. The world would be poor, a poor place if Handel had not let God rid of his Ishmael and bring his Isaac back into the world. So there's an Ishmael in every life. You got things that you don't want there, but God's got a promise for every life, and God's got a race to run for every life, and God's got a way to win for every life. I hope you're hearing me tonight. So how do you win this race called life? You keep running, and you run according to the rules, and you run in the right direction. That's God's way, not my way. There's a, uh, a story about that it was actually told in a book called The Ten Laws of, of Lasting Love. And I close with this. A fellow by the name of Paul Purcell uh, relates an occasion in his fight against cancer uh, when he and his wife had to overcome when uh, their, their hope was attacked. They really didn't have any hope. And so any time a doctor would come in with news of progress, he said his wife would join him with a mutual embrace. And, and he said the reports were seldom good and uh, during the early phases of his sickness. And one day, one particular day, a doctor walks in with particularly frightening news, and he's gazing at his clipboard, and he's, he's murmuring. And, and just in his murmuring, he said, it, it really doesn't look like you're going to make it. And this woman, before this Paul Purcell, he said, before I could ask a question of, of the doctor, the doomsayer, he said, my wife stood up, handed me my robe, adjusted the tubes attached to my body, and said, let's get out of here. This man is a risk to your health. And she helped me struggle to the door. He said, the doctor approached us and said, stay back. She looked at him and said, stay back and stay away from us. And as they walked down the hall, the doctor attempted to catch up with them and said, she, she said to her husband, keep going. Pushing the stand that had all the tubes hooked to him, we're going to talk to somebody who really knows what's going on. And so she held her hand up to that doctor and said, don't get any closer to us. We don't want to hear that. And the two of them fled to a safe place of a doctor who did not confuse diagnosis with a verdict. And so here's my final word. Don't confuse diagnosis with a verdict. And don't confuse your feelings with the facts. And don't confuse right now with always. Run, run, run to win. Keep living for God. Keep your hope. Keep in the scripture. Keep the Holy Ghost in your life. Keep the power of God moving in your soul. And you are going to win.
Get on your feet and let's clap and praise God tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm saying here right now. You can't be discouraged. You can't be despondent. You can't give up. You can't give out. You got to get up every morning. You got to be in the race. You got to say, I'm going to run it. I'm going to do it to my best ability. I'm going to do it to the rules of God. I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm not going to outrun God. I'm not going against my enemies. I'm not going with my enemies. I'm going to run the way God does told me to run. I'm running with faith and I'm running with the goal line in my sight. I'm coming. I'm running. Don't quit running. If you quit, there is no hope. Quitters never win and winners never quit. You got to keep running. You're going to tell me that there's never been a place of discouragement, Pastor? No. Will there be some more? Yeah. You're going to tell me there's never been a place in your life where you hadn't felt like quitting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many times. I heard a a guy that pastored before I came here, and he would always stand up, and he'd say, you know what? I never found a place to turn back, and I thought, what road is he on? Because I've seen a lot of places I felt like I didn't even want to get up in the morning. I felt like the guy that his wife went in one morning on Sunday morning and woke him up, said, honey, get up. We're going to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. She said, no, honey, you got to go. You're the head of this house. We got kids. You got to go to church. He said, I do not want to go to church. She said, get up, baby. You're the pastor. you got to go to church. See, everybody has those feelings. I, won't just, I, I, just won't, I don't want to see anybody. I won't talk to anybody. I, I, I'm t- you know what? You need the church. You need the kingdom. You need this book. You need the love of God. You need the power of God. There is a win for us if we do it God's way. I promise you nothing if you do it your way, but I promise you everything if you do it God's way. Amen? Amen. God bless you tonight.